0: Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. We are back here again with Johnny Schnitzer, who is one of our most common teachers now. We're thrilled to have him back at VBM. He is a PhD candidate focusing on medieval Kabbalah keenly interested in reincarnation and cosmic cycles. His dissertation is focused on the Kabbalistic system of thought of Rabbi Joseph Ben Sholom Ashkenazi. Johnny is also preparing a critical edition of Ashkenazi's commentary on Sefer Yitzira, probably the only PhD student in Jewish philosophy who can say that he once beat the head of Israeli naval commandos in a swimming race. Johnny's also the author of M- M- Massad Thriller, The Way Back, which paints a picture of contemporary Israel. Johnny has recently orchestrated the publishing of an English edition of the Hitler Haggadah, an important piece of Moroccan Jewish history from the Holocaust. He has also taken on several leadership roles in the Jewish world, including advisor to the CEO of Birthright, and executive manager with Stand With Us, he lectures on a wide variety of topics relating to Judaism and Israel, especially about the untold stories and unspoken heroes of Jewish history. Johnny's happily married with four gorgeous little kids, lives in Israel, and thinks that Australian rules football is the greatest sport ever invented. Johnny Schnitzer, welcome back, Knowing Life Through Death.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Ishmully, for that very, very warm welcome, and uh, hi, good, good afternoon to everyone, or good night uh, in Israel. Um, very good to see all of you. Um, okay, what we're going to do, I'm going to share the screen and then I'm going to give a, just a short intro of what it is we're going to be doing today. Uh, okay, so we're interested in death. We're interested in how Judaism or the Jewish bookshelf understands death. And when I say the Jewish bookshelf, we are going to go through um, three sections in, in the time that we have together. The first, we're going to look at the Bible right? That's that's our starting point. We want to understand what does the Bible have to say about death? And we're going to see that it's very complicated. Um, then we're going to move on to the Midrash. We're going to move on to a sort of a a commentary, early commentary onto the Bible. And we are going to focus on one story. We're going to focus on one story about those that evaded death. Those lucky, you know, buggers, as we say, that that got to, you know, bypass and not, not die and understand what that means. We are then going to uh, uh, set the stage to sort of head into Kabbalah. We're going to finalize with the, uh, certain Kabbalistic teachings where we are going to focus on primarily three things. We are going to look at death within the context of reincarnation death, and, and the circle of life, perhaps. Death within the context of resurrection of the dead. As we will see, it is one of the most beautiful expressions ever invented, I think, in any language, but for sure in Hebrew. And we are going to conclude with one of the most momentous, famous, with the most, with the greatest ramifications, one of the most famous deathbed, intimate deathbed scenes in Jewish history, um, and, and we'll, we'll get to that at the end. So I know it's a lot, and, and, and I, I, I highly advise that if there are any bits that interest you, whether it's biblical, the, the Midrash, Kabbalah, you can feel free to contact me or delve further into them, because each of these really are a world in themselves. As an introduction to to, to the Bible, I want to just do two things. The first thing, we're going to start with King Solomon, right? King Solomon, who said it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all mankind, and the living should take it to heart. What I'd like us to do is try and put this in the back of our minds, or perhaps stamp it on our hearts, because this, this, this idea that King Solomon is trying to teach us is going to go with us throughout the back of our minds and stamped on our hearts. And we're going to go back to it. We're going to, we're going to come back to it at the very end. Because it's, 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 just, it's, 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 an, it's a beautiful idea. So this is the first thing. The second thing is a visual practice. I want us to look at the word in Hebrew, dead, met. And when you flip it, it's tam. Tam, flipped, right? So dead, flipped uh, uh, back to front uh, means conclusion. It means complete. It means pure. Uh, and and this this is another thing we are going to come to also in the end, uh, or, or perhaps when we look at the resurrection of the dead. So these two ideas, this teaching of King Solomon, that if you 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 have two options. You either go out with friends to a bar or you go pay a Shiva call. King Solomon says, you know, any day of the week, choose the Shiva call. right? That this is the first thing, and the second thing is we're looking visually at Met and Tam, just what they look like without even being, even if we don't speak, you know, read Hebrew just visually trying to take in what we see before our eyes, the back to front, knowing that one means death and one means conclusion or complete or pure. Okay, so let's start. So as I mentioned, um, the first part of our, our, our time together, um, we're gonna look at a few verses in the Bible that talk about death. And, and here we start with the first verse that mentions death. Okay. Now what this means is, so let's first read it. So, but of the tree of knowledge of good and bad, you must not eat thereof, for on the day you eat it, or you eat of it, you shall you shall surely die. Okay. Now, w- what do we know? Right, we have Adam and Eve. We have our creation stories. Not going to get into that, but we have this tree, and we're told God says, you know, you can't you can't eat from the tree of knowledge, right? Okay. now he says, interestingly, if you do, you will die. One could ask at this stage in time in history, does anyone know what death means? Right. If you're a child and you're reading this verse for the first time, do you know what death means? We have no clue. We we know it's probably not something good because if God says to us, you know, don't do this. And if you will, you will die. But we don't know what that means. Does death mean detention? Does death mean you're being kicked out of somewhere? We don't know. Right? So so this is our first, our first encounter with death. And, and, and we usually read this verse already knowing something, knowing something about the death of a close one, knowing something uh, about you know, what we were taught, going to a cemetery. But, but, but when we read the text for the first time, we don't know what death means. Let's continue. Okay we are now into the sort of, you know, the, the section of the Bible, right? The Bible isn't a book of history. It's a book of life. It is God, the manifestation of God. And, and, and it, it also tells us how to live our lives. And so here, we are told in Exodus, we're already about how to keep commandments. We're talking about the Sabbath. You shall observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Its desecrators shall be put to death, for whoever does work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among its people. Okay. This is already interesting. Now now we already, right, if at the beginning we, we, we see death and we don't know where it's taking us, this already is a bit different. This is already getting scary. Because here we, we, we start off by saying, right, you're supposed to keep Shabbos. We don't even know what that is, but you know, we're supposed to keep Shabbos. If we keep Shabbos, okay, if we don't, we're going to die. And then we're told, <clears throat> now we're not sure if the latter is an extension of death, right? If being cut off from our people is an extension of death, is it the explanation of death? Is it an addition to death? But, but, but they're clearly together, right? Now in Hebrew, so we're told, right? So in English, we're told about the soul. So perhaps a sort of working definition at the very start of our journey, and we're gonna see it's only one of the, the working definitions, is that a soul is cut off from its people, presumably the, the, you know, the Israelites. Right, because the 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 story of the Bible is about, you know, one God choosing one people, giving them one book, telling them to go to one land. And and, and so we are told here that if you don't abide by the rules, you will die. And that assumption is it's closely associated with your soul being cut off. We're not sure what that means, but but it doesn't sound good. It sounds, you know, schizophrenic because it's very scary when you're cut off from something and and you, you don't know where you are. Okay, so we've seen two verses let's continue the assembly shall rest so here we're talking about uh, um right we have this this idea uh, in judaism of uh, what's called il-mi-klat, a sort of a a, a, a a city of refuge where if you murder if you know if, if, if someone manslaughter right you someone was killed accidentally but still the, the family is hurting the, the the death so someone that you know killed through manslaughter and accidentally you go to a city of refuge and the idea is that you're there because the assumption is that the family of the, 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 the person who has been, uh, who's been killed, who died, is going to want vengeance. So you go there, and you go there and you stay there. And how long do you stay there? So this verse tells us, the assembly shall rescue the killer from the hand of the avenger of the blood, and the assembly shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled. He shall dwell in it until the death of the Kohen Gadol. This seems to imply a a, a sort of a feel of atonement, right? Death is atonement. The act of the the high priest dying implies that when he is dead, he is atoned for the sins of others, and then everyone's free to go. (laughs) And it was this sort of status quo, assuming that no one argued with this, that when the big kahuna dies, that when the, the, the high priest dies, this is a sign from God. The, the, we're all good now. We're all good and everything's okay, right? So this is atonement. This, this, this clearly implies. Now imagine right, we're told stories that the, the 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 mothers of the Kohanim, right? They'd go and bring food. They'd bring cakes to sort of try to appease the people because you know the, the, everyone's basically waiting for this Kohen Gadol to die so that they can leave, right? And we, we that's not really what we want. But the idea is that when this happens, there's atonement. Okay, so 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 we've seen uh, now a being cut off from, uh, a soul being cut off from its people. And that's connected to death if you do not abide by the rules, or in this case, Sabbath. And here, um, there is a sort of positive inclination, apart perhaps from the family of the Kohen, but for the people of Israel, much like when a righteous person we are told passes away, then there's sort of atonement for a generation. There's the sense of atonement here. Death, suddenly we, we see it in a different light, okay. Now things are getting really interesting because we sort of we thought we know, you know, something about death. We don't know anything about death. And, 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 and then we, we are now getting to yet another working definition of death. And what do we see here? So we have right the famous scene uh, where Moses goes up to bring bring us uh, uh, the, uh, the commandments. And Moses says to God, I want to see your glory. Right. The, the, the peak. I, I want to cleave to you. I want to know what it's all about. I, I want to be with you. Hashem. And what does God say? You will not be able to see my face for no human can see my face and live. OK, notice it's very interesting. Notice that, that it doesn't say whoever sees my face will die. Right. We, we go with the opposite for some reason. Anyone who sees my face will not live. Now, surely or, or you know what? Let's play with this. Does so? So we're told here there's a sort of equi- equilibrium here that if someone sees God, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad, but it means that if, if you want to be able to see God, you want to see the truth, you want to be able to handle the truth, you will not live. Does that mean though that you die? All right? Question. Think about the met and tam, think about death and the opposite of death. I think about what King Solomon uh, told us at the very outset. What's going on here? By the way, in brackets, there is a fascinating story in the, in the Talmud. Four students, four pupils, Rabbi Akiva, Ben Zoma, Ben Azai, and Elisha Ben Avuyah, they go into an orchid, right? They, they, they go and the, the, they, they're going to the Pardes. They're going to sort of find mystical secrets. Rabbi Akiva, we are told, enters in peace and exits in peace. Elisha Ben Avuyah one of the most tragic, tragic, tragic characters in Jewish history Um, goes in Elisha ben Avuya, and he comes out uh, uh, sort of basically going against God, or at least that's what the sages tell us, whether that's true or not, we could debate about. But sort of he basically, you know, takes off his yarmulke. We then have Ben-Zoma. Ben-Zoma, who had beautiful teachings to teach us, um, he... Sort of, you know, loses his mind. And Benazai is interesting. Benazai, we are told, goes into this mystical experience and dies. Now, that could mean that he couldn't handle it, or it could mean, if we go back to the biblical verse here, right? We're putting it into context, that there's a very clear, you know, uh, agreement. You want to see, you want to see everything, Benazai. Fine, then you're dying. I- You know, perhaps similar to what we're being told here, that you you can't stay in this world and live, meaning perhaps that Rabbi Akiva, who went in peace and came out in peace, perhaps didn't see all that Benazai saw. But that's, like I said, that's in brackets, and and I always seem to associate it with what we're told here, because there is a clear statement here about um, perhaps what death is, and an interesting positive connotation, uh, perhaps a peak or something to look forward to. Um, and we're going to see this at the very end, when we get to this famous deathbed scene, not of Moses, but of someone else, which we're going to keep, you know, whoever knows who it is, then great, whoever doesn't, it's a secret. Um, this then leads us, right, so if this definition is, you want to see God, you can't live, this connects uh, <clears throat> to, uh, or, or just before that, we'll, we're now going chronologically, um, Here we are told in this verse quite clearly, right? We have here a a sort of equation. So I have placed before you today the life and the good and the death and the evil. Now here, unlike what we saw with Moses, where the assumption is if you get to see God, you're you're perhaps dead or, you know, you're not alive, which seemed like perhaps a good thing or something that you'd want. And what happened perhaps to Benazai, here the equation seems quite simple. There's good and life and there's death and evil, right? The, the, there's no middle ground. Now, th- this is complicated because these are different verses in the Bible. They're all talking about death. So, you know, we have the, this atonement. We have this evil, bad. We have this thing we, we cl- connecting to cleaving to God. We have this enigmatic death in the beginning, <laughs> right? So cutting off of the soul. <clears throat> Our final working definition. And this is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, bestowed upon the children of Israel before his death. Now, this is interesting. Moses, his entire, his entire life, right? He's a shepherd, right? If you look at his CV, he was a shepherd. He then became the, the shepherd of the people of Israel. He is only called Ishaelokim, man of God, once in his life. When did that happen? The day he died. The day he dies, he is called Ishaelokim man of God. Now, it is very tempting to connect this verse to what we read before, right? This intimate, intimate conversation that the Bible lets us view from up close and personal. where Moses says to God, I want to see you. And and God says, it's not going to happen while you're alive. And guess what? You still have a job to do. You need to take my people to where they got to go. And now, that they're at the brink of, of, you know, Moses has finished his job. He can't take them in anymore for so many reasons. Perhaps not only just for hitting the rock, but there are other reasons. Now it's time. Now it's time. Why else is he called man of God? Isha Lokim? And, and remember, this is the day. The day that he dies is the day that he blesses the Israelites. This is the first time he blesses them. First time. So in, in the first part of, of our time together, what have we seen? We've seen, uh, uh, well, we started with an introduction that I want to remind us of because it's important. King Solomon tells us if you have an option to go out with mates to a bar or go to pay a shiva call, someone's passed away in the community and you can go and visit you know, the, the, the surviving family, you know, say a few good words, console them, do that every day of the week. And the other thing we saw is this 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 fascinating visual practice where we look at met, dead, and flipped on its head, tam, which which literally have opposite meanings, and through this prism, through these through these two things practices, we go into looking at these verses, and we see in the first, you know, sort of as we conclude the first part of this lesson, we see that in the Bible, death is a complicated matter, because in the, and we've done this chronologically pretty much in the first verse. We're not sure what death means. And then we see that it has this nasty connotation of being cut off from the people of Israel. right? So so death is not necessarily a a physical thing, or at least that's not the the emphasis. right? The Bible doesn't say you're not going to be here anymore. It says your soul is going to be cut off from the people. Your soul. So death is a spiritual matter. And, And then we come to this idea of the koin gadol, the high priest, the big kahuna dying. Death is a positive thing. as as atonement perhaps something that that, the people are looking forward to imagine imagine hundreds thousands of people manslaughter and and, and all their families everyone's waiting for them to be able to come out the day the high priest dies its headlines some people were happy right And, and, and then we have this idea of of moses and not being able to see god's glory and live and that's connected to his last day where he dies and he's called man of god and then we have this very simple equation where if there is life and good, and there is death and evil, okay? <clears throat> Up until this point, I hope we're confused because that's the point, right? The Bible wants to show us that death is a complex issue. We, we are alive and we wanna understand something about death, about how to lead our lives. So we're now gonna move on to our next, oh, you know what? <clears throat> because death is a bit of a, you know, a heavy topic. So we're gonna have a sort of a, a, a short pause one of the most comic scenes in the Talmud, and then we're gonna move on on our journey. Cleopatra, Queen Cleopatra, one day, she sees Rabbi Meir, <clears throat> Rabbi Meir, uh, uh, one of the greatest sages in the Talmud, and she says to him, I know that the dead will live again, as it is written, and they shall blossom forth from the city like the grass on earth, right? This is interesting. We have a, a model here of Queen Cleopatra as a Talmud Chacham. She is, you know, she's clearly very learned, right? Hollywood knew this perhaps, um, but what I want to know is whether when they rise from the dead, do they rise naked, or do they rise in their clothes right so she's learned and she's provocative perhaps she's trying to tease Rabbi mayor. But he of course doesn't fall for the trap, he said to her, the answer can be inferred from the following analysis of a wheat kernel. If a wheat grain, which was buried in the ground naked emerges from the ground fully grown and wearing several garments. Then how much more so would the righteous, who are buried in their own clothes, emerge fully clothed at the resurrection? <laughs> right. This is this is <clears throat> this example beyond perhaps to put a, a, a small smile on our face as we sort of look at this, you know, stark uh, uh, topic, uh, is interesting because it also shows that in the Talmud, the sages, th- there was a lot of talk clearly about about what this is. But, but not only about death, but death within the connotation of life, of, of what's the end game? Where are we headed? And we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. But, but as I said, we move on. Our second stop, after we surveyed the Bible, um, we're now going into the Midrash. We're now going into a sort of commentary. <clears throat> Interestingly, what we're about to read is a commentary that appears on a verse in Ezekiel about the king uh, Hiram, Hiram. And Hiram was like um, King Solomon and King David's go-to guy. He was the guy in Lebanon that they'd go to and he'd supply the goods to to, to build stuff in the temple. And and, and apparently he's a very enigmatic character, right? If if you look at Kabbalists talking about Hiram, right? He doesn't, he's not mentioned in the text here. I'm, I'm giving you sort of the verse about someone where we then have this story we're about to read. And Hiram, interestingly, there are a lot of deep secrets associated with Hiram. that Kabbalists just don't want to share because it's just it's, it's too dangerous. <clears throat> so anyway, Hiram brings about the following story. 13 people did not taste the taste of death, and they are. Enoch, Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, Methuselah, Hiram, the king of Tyre, Ebed-Melech, Batia, the daughter of Pharaoh, Serach, the daughter of Asher, the three sons of Korah, Elijah, the Messiah, and Re- Rabbi Joshua ben Levi. It continues. Nine people entered into the Garden of Eden alive. Notice that the, the, the title at the top said, These are people that didn't taste the taste of death. The subtitle now says, People who entered the Garden of Eden alive. These are not the same thing. Enoch, Elijah, the Messiah, Eliezer, Ebed-Melech, Hiram, Yavetz, the grandson of Rabbi Yudah, the prince, Sarah and Batiah, the daughter of Pharaoh. And some say Hiram was taken out and replaced with Rabbi Yeshua, son of Levi. Okay. Um, firstly, <clears throat> um, if I ask you instinctively to tell me who is the odd one out here, Who's the odd one out here, right? That that there's one character here who is clearly the odd man out, right? It's the rabbi. It's the rabbi. There's only one rabbi in this list. Everyone else is a biblical character. Enoch, Eliezer, the the Messiah, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. How did a rabbi make the list? A rabbi makes the list. There are many questions here that we that, that that we want to ask, right? The first question is <clears throat> the question of the sub of the titles. What is it? What does this midrash want to teach us by saying and, and my assumption is that when these texts are written, they are carefully written and the words chosen are calculated. And as such, it is fascinating that we are told that there are some that, you know, they didn't taste the taste of death but then chooses to tell us who goes into the Garden of Eden alive. And, and what is it trying to teach us here? Does it mean that, you know, not being, you know, being alive, you can perhaps be alive in this world and, and somewhere else. Does, does not taste the taste of death mean that you died, but you didn't taste the bitter part of it? You know, there's so many questions. But, the, but I think the biggest question, the ethical question, the moral question, Right. If we think about what we can learn about life through death. Is what do all of these people have in common? Right? What is the common denominator between, say, you know what, let's let's choose two. Let, you know, we'll, we'll go with um, <clears throat> three. We'll go with Batia, the daughter of Pharaoh, the three sons of Korach and Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. OK, Batia. I'm going to be now sort of provocative on purpose, right? So let's presume that Pharaoh is Hitler, okay? And Hitler has a daughter. Hitler has a daughter walking around in Berlin, and she sees Jews that are being shot, and she notices a little Jewish baby. She wants the baby. She takes the baby in, lies to her father, and raises what becomes one of the greatest partisans to ever live, the, the very Jew that, 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 that stops the Third Reich, no less. Meaning she's in the heart of Berlin, the heart of the Third Reich, and she, she basically stops the, 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 the final solution single-handedly, right, all thanks to Batia. That's what Batia did, right? Pharaoh, the, you, know, you know, Pharaoh had two consultants. He had Bilam, the famous sorcerer, and he had Jethro. Jethro did truva, he repented, but but he had, and and they said, especially Bilam, right? The, the magician said, there's only one way to stop the Jewish people, and it's the final solution. And but the daughter over my dead body. She sees the baby, she raises the baby, becomes Moses, becomes the Messiah. Let's move on to the three sons of Korach. Korach, as we know, was you know, this, this, this very rich, very smart intellectual. He had a case, right? Ask Spinoza, ask Spinoza. Spinoza knew that one of the problems with Moses is that you're saying that you want to create a free people where everyone's created in the the image of God, right? This idea of Western modern liberation, that we are all equal because we were all created in God's image. And yet there's a catch. It's a totalitarian system where we can only listen to Moses. Korach gets this. Korach gets this. He gets up, and, but, but, but people know that even though Korach gets this, that's not really what he's after. It's pride. He wants power. He's power hungry. And so his three sons, right, this huge camp who are willing to kill to give Korach power, his three sons, they, they don't go with him. They repent. And as a result, they remain alive and they even get to write some Psalms. King David lets them write. He says, these are good guys. These are clearly good guys. They get to write some Psalms. Amazing, right? So so, they they are contrarian. They they are brave. They they are thinking about other people. And Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, the rabbi, he's the most amazing. Do you know the story of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi? This is incredible. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, right? So so we have COVID, right? We're living in a reality of COVID. There's still COVID. There are the variants of COVID. So imagine a world where there is an epidemic and it's very contagious, and say, just say that if someone you know, is contagious and sick, you, you, you're not allowed to go visit them because you can, you can get sick yourself. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi said, over my dead body. It, well, they're sick. They, they, no one's going to look after them. So he went out to the street and he, he, he moved his bed, Midrash, he moved his study hall to be out with the, the people that have COVID. He didn't care. So he, this, that we didn't have the, 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 you know, uh, anything to protect us yet, but, but he went. Anyway this was a great thing that he did. And, you know, it comes his day to die. And uh, uh, God sends the angel of death. And long story short, God says to the angel of death, look, you know, you, you, he's a great guy, give him one wish before, you know, you take him, right, and paraphrasing. And Yoshua Ben Levi says, to the angel of death, you know, I, I, I'd like to see the Garden of Eden before, before I go. And the angel of death says, you yeah, know, okay, that's, it's pretty easy, standard right? It's on the way. So, um, angel of death takes, takes rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. And as they're going, rabbi Yoshua ben Levi notices the angel of death. He has this huge, scary sword. It's a very, very scary sword. And rabbi Yoshua says, look, I'm, you know, you're doing a mitzvah for me, but, but your sword is very, very scary. Do you mind if I hold it? You know, I'm afraid that, you know, you're so used to what you do. You're used to your job. You know, you, you might accidentally, you know, you know, do your job. So, And, and you know, angel of death says, that's fair enough. Fine. He gives him his sword. They head up to heaven, uh, to the, to the garden of Eden. And, you know, there's a big wall. So the angel of death helps Rabbi Yoshua Levi up to see, and he's got the sword in his hand. He jumps over. The angel of death can't go into the garden of Eden. I guess that's the rules it's written somewhere. And Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi's down there with a sword and the angel of death says, okay, ha ha funny, give me back my sword. This is actually what it says in the Talmud, and uh, he says, no, forget about it, right? He's Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, has, 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 you know, who was always caring for the weakest elements of society, the weakest links of society is not stopping to think about mankind, about humanity, and he basically has this idea that I, I want to stop people from dying, right? It's, it's incredible. What a mensch, right? This is a great mensch. Long story short, they start arguing, and then a divine decree, right? God Himself basically says, Look, Rabbi Yoshua, the world needs death. The world needs death, you know, give Him back His sword. And, and, and that's how that story ends. Um, but but the, the moral of the story is what, to me, this, this midrash always points to is that, you know, we can ask that these people, is it really a mystical teaching? Is it really about these people didn't die? Or perhaps does the Midrash want to teach us something else? Perhaps does it want to teach us that the common denominator between the vast majority—right, because we're going to put the Messiah aside—but the vast majority of the people sharing this list is that they were individuals that cared more about others than themselves. It's individuals that embedded the, the, the statement of King Solomon: "You got a choice between going to a bar with mates or going to a shiva call. You pay the shiva call." That, thats the people on this list. The daughter of Hitler, Batya, the daughter of Pharaoh, she, she understands it, right? In a way, you, you, if you live your life properly, then you never really die because the ripple effect of your actions is, is, is infinite, right? So there's this, this beautiful teaching that we have that, that, that if we just left the Bible in the first part and it sort of seemed complicated to us, you, know, you can get lost in these definitions of death, then here's this beautiful midrash that says, but you can put all that aside if you want, you know, don't get too philosophical about what death is, just, just know what life is about, and that if we live life properly, you know, if we go with what we really believe in, then, then you know, you, you may be one of those who doesn't taste the taste of death, you know, if, it, if we take it figuratively or not, okay, so we've now, we've, we've, we've set the scene, we've gone uh, from the Bible, we've looked at the Midrash, now we're going to our Kabbalists, okay, now Kabbalists, our Kabbalists, right, we're talking now 13th century, we're talking the medieval era, we're talking about Spain, we're talking Barcelona, um, and and we're going to look at a few um, fascinating, in my mind, texts that do things to death that have never been done before to death in the Jewish bookshelf, okay, so so you ready, And, and for some of these, you really need to make sure that your, your seatbelt is, is buckled because this, this is a wild text. Okay, so Rabbi, ben, Rabbi Joseph Ben Shalom Ashkenazi, 13th century. Um, this, is, this is from his commentary on Sefer Yetzirah, the Book of Formation. Know that death is not the same in every species in that the death of one type of species brings life for another, for example, Let's say that a plant dried up and worms appear. The plant died, but came back through an animal or rotten meat, which dies, so to speak, and a plant sprouts from it. And so, too, is the case with people and with each and every species. So, too. Now, get this because this is radical. You're not going to read this anywhere else. So, too, in the angelic world, the spheres, the stars, the zodiac signs and even in the world of the spherot, that's the Godhead. The, the tools through which uh, uh, the divine sort of overlook the world. Each and every thing has its own order according to its deeds for ascent or, or for descent, And it is about this order that is said the gates of death, right? He's, this is, in fact, a commentary of his on the book of Job. So Job basically has a, a miserable life. And then in chapter 38, after he's sure that he's right, God basically comes in chapter 38 and a bit of 39 basically says okay Job just calm down for a moment I have a few questions I want to ask you and then he starts with the series of questions of were you there at the start when you know I was mapping out this and I was doing this and, and there's you know a verse about death so what is what is Ashkenazi saying to us here what, so there are a few interesting things the first thing he's talking about this idea of the circle of life right he's he's saying here that He's not saying that when a plant dies, you know, it's, or or sorry, when when a plant dries up or dies, a worm appears, but he's clearly saying that they are ontologically, that they are physically connected, that there is a transformation, there is a metamorphosis. It's not that, and in that sense, death will always, according to Ashkenazi, in this text, in this text, because we're about to see another text, in this text, the first thing we learn, is that death and life uh, are like spinning doors. that, that They are literally, it, 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 he's trying to say, do you really know what life is and what death is? Because any death of many things in this world is the life source of another, That's simple, right? So this is a very profound teaching. And, and interestingly, he also says, and, and he says, and so too is the case with people, right? It's, it's interesting, w- what does he mean here? So we're going to now move on to another verse to sort of try and understand this. And it seems to me, this is from the same text, and it seems to me that souls are sent each and every day, those worthy of life to life, those worthy of death to death, those worthy of transmigration to transmigration, Right, that's reincarnation. And among those, those worthy to ascend, to ascend, and those worthy to descend, to descend, and those uh, worthy to be cut off, to be cut off. Okay, now I want us to recall the biblical working definitions of death that we had because there's something interesting here. In the previous text, Ashkenazi is telling us that death can almost be equal to life. But then he says, it's not that simple. Remember how we saw that there was a biblical passage that was like an equation, good in life and evil in death. And all of a sudden, the Kabbalist says, Guess what? I see it the same way. He's basically telling us here that you know every soul is judged, right? Every soul, what happens is you live your life, and you know, you you die, so to speak, and die for the sake of this passage means that your heart stops beating, and then your soul goes up to receive its judgment in, in the upper world. and that judgment is based upon your the good things you did and the bad things you did in another place he teaches us that the 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 shape of our soul is based on this interaction this play between the good and the bad that we did so when you get judged there are a few options he tells us those worthy for life to life i ask you what does that mean does this mean that those worthy for life, those souls are reincarnated and go back down to life? I'm not sure. Because in the continuation, he says to us, those worthy for transmigration to transmigration, right? Meaning, according to this mystic, he's telling us that when the soul goes up to be judged after the the, the heart has stopped beating, one option is life. And what's implied from this text is that life is not going back to this world. Life is somewhere else those worthy to death death this is very you know reminiscent of the biblical verse that death and evil and good and life and so death is something else and indeed according to this kabbalist death does not death is not the opposite of life according to this kabbalist he has two working definitions for death what we saw before death equates life but the other working definition is that death is the contrary to life Do we understand the difference between death is the, it's not death is the opposite of life because the opposite of life, if death were the opposite of life, it means lack of life. But death being the contrary of life means if life is this good, death is like in the minuses, right? Like in the horrific zone, we're talking hell. That's what he's talking about. Various, you know, impure forces of impurity doing nasty stuff that we don't want to get into. So one option is life that's clearly not coming back to this world. Another option is death that is horrific. It's the contrary to life. Another option is reincarnation, right? Transmigration it means coming back. What we thought was life, but now we're told it wasn't. It's not life. It's something else. So all of a sudden, we're trying to understand what are we doing here? When, when King Solomon says, go, go to a shiver call instead of going to a bar, is, is this life what we're doing right now? Or is what we're doing in this world a corridor that wants to get us to life? And what we're doing here is something else. And yet in the verse before, he clearly tells us that death is life and life is here. So also with the mystics, it's very complicated. By the way, just in brackets, um, it's interesting to note that um, so we're told here about transmigration. I don't know if you know, but um, transmigration appears in the Jewish bookshelf very late, very late in the game right, with the Greeks, it's already Pythagoras and Plato, they're all talking transmigration. In the Jewish bookshelf, the first, to to, my, to the best of my knowledge, the first time reincarnation appears as a word is with Rabbi Sadia Gaon, 9th century, famous Jewish philosopher, and guess what he says? He says, I heard that there are some people who call themselves Jews and they believe in reincarnation, right, like big no-no. We real Jews don't believe in that. That is the first time it appears in the Jewish bookshelf. A hundred years after him, 200 years after him, we have Moses Maimonides, the great, the great eagle. He goes a step further than Rabbi Saad Gaon. He doesn't mention reincarnation even once in any of his books, right? That, that's, um, anyway, that, that's interesting in itself. And then it appears for the first time amongst our mystics in a positive way that it's already infiltrated. It's already, it's part of, it's a doctrine, which is part of the Jewish belief system. And, and you know, it raises this fascinating question, when does this begin? Does it go back to the time of the Talmud, to the Bible? Is it sort of esoteric secrets to pass on? No. What's the source of this? But in any event, this, this, is, this is a complicated text, right? Because life suddenly is not life that we thought it is, and death isn't death that we thought it is. Death is far worse. Life is somewhere else, um, and we have the option of transmigration. OK we've looked at the circle of life, we've, looked, we've touched upon reincarnation, which by the way, right, perhaps if it isn't clear, so, so also the idea of reincarnation implies, you know, if we go with the idea of, you know, living this world being life, the reincarnation means that, you know, death, if life is a sentence, then once you have reincarnation, the system of, of, you know, uh, revolving doors, then if life is a sentence, then the final period, there is no final period. There are commas, a series of commas. And, and we're continuing with, with, with this sort of with tasks that, that each life we live is a series, That in fact, it's the soul at the center of, of, of our cosmic life and not, not our, our temporary bodies. And perhaps that's life, the life of the biography of the soul going between physical bodies and time. Now we're moving on to the resurrection of the dead, and then we will conclude with our final story because our time is short. In the Tractate of Sanhedrin, we are told um, that anyone that doesn't believe in, um, in the resurrection of the dead doesn't deserve, deserve a place in the world to come, olam And so this is, this is quite severe, right? If you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, you don't get olam Now guess what? I challenge you, tell me, what does resurrection of the dead mean? What does it mean? Right. I'll give you a hint. In the Talmud, it's enigmatic. It's very difficult in the Talmud to understand what resurrection of the dead means. Most, if to my mind, most of the way we view today resurrection of the dead is heavily influenced by Maimonides. And, and perhaps because he was, you know, one of the first, if not the first, to, to write extensively about the idea of what is going to happen in Triyadamitim. And you know, and and it, it, it really is about sort of what happens at the end, right? The body's coming back and so on and so forth. Okay. However, there was a mystic, and, and this, this is a secret. This is something which, 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 you know, not many people know, so, you know, you're very lucky that we're looking at this. Rabbi Bachia ben Asher. So Rabbi Bachia ben Asher is a Kabbalist. Um, he wrote a commentary on the Bible in the year 1291 in Saragossa. Um, and he has something very, very interesting to teach us. <clears throat> and according to the Kabbalah, right? So there's a verse in, uh, in the book of Genesis, that says, let Reuben live and not die. Um, he mentioned life regarding the world to come and that he shall not die, that he shall come back again from there to die another death. And he revealed to us here that the souls transmigrate to a body upon receiving a reward or punishment. Long story short, he's telling us this verse in the Bible teaches us about reincarnation that, you know, you you keep living. When Reuben, we're told, will live and not die, it means, excuse me, you will keep coming back. But then it gets even better, because then he tells us. And this transmigration, this idea of reincarnation, is what the sages in the Talmud meant by resurrection of the dead. Now, this is mind-boggling, because what this Kabbalist has just told us is that I don't buy what Maimonides says about resurrection of the dead. It's not, resurrection of the dead is not something that happens at the end of like, you know, the, the, the Armageddon, right? Eschatological matters at the end of time. No, it happens each and every day. Resurrection of the dead is every time a soul, a body, you know, dies, the soul goes up, gets judged, and it comes back. Resurrection of the dead, according to this Kabbalist means reincarnation big secret that's this huge huge changes everything by the way since we are talking about this um resurrection of the dead look at resurrection of the dead in hebrew triyat as i mentioned at the start i think it's one of the most beautiful phrases in in, in hebrew because if you look at the the word, right, right imagine that back in biblical times imagine you had billboards huge billboards and this people come up with this idea of triyat resurrection of the dead and you have billboards that black on white say "Triat," right? "Triat" literally means revival, but it has in the middle of it the word "Chai," life, life, right next to "Metim," the dead, life and dead put together. It's it's it goes back to our looking at the idea of what the word "dead" means, and when you look at it, you know, upside down, it's all of a sudden pure completion. It even connects, right? If you're a society that believe in resurrection of the dead, if you're a society that believe that, that the end is not, the, the, the final period is not a final period, but a comma, that the sentence is an ongoing sentence that only Dickens could pull off because ongoing sentences are not good, but for but, but cabalists and Dickens they are, then it, it changes everything. It even changes the way we read a text, right? Are people that believe in the idea of Triata metim or are people that read books differently? There are people that can look at the last verse of the Bible, right? Le'enei Israel, right? Right, so the last verse, we are told that, you know, Moses' hand, right, and all the Israelites saw. What did they see? Go back to the beginning of the book, so to speak. Bereshit bara. And sages teach us to take the last letter of the Bible, of, of the five books of Moses, is Lamed letter Lamed, and take the first letter, Bet, together a heart, Lev, 32, which, you know, is other profound stuff that we can't really get into. But the point is this idea of resurrection of the dead, Tchiat and, and so much gets lost in translation in English. Resurrection of the dead is not quite like the aesthetics, the beauty, the profound profound ethical message of Tchiat for a society in terms of how one lives a life. It goes back to what King Solomon told us, it, it, it goes back to the Midrash that told us, you know, those that didn't taste of death, the taste of death is because they were concerned more with what they were doing here because they were constantly thinking about these things. We we, 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 we need to conclude now uh, uh, and time is short. So I'm going to literally in a sentence go and, uh, um, um, uh, yeah, feel free to post questions. I'm going to just conclude by saying, we're going to go to this sort of final deathbed scene Um, Right. So we we, we were told that um, Moses wants to see God's glory. He wants to cleave with God. God says anyone that gets to see my face, you're not alive. Okay. So this then just leads us uh, to one of the most intimate scenes in the Zohar, the Holy Zohar, perhaps the the sort of most important, one of the most important Kabbalistic texts um, in the Idra, um, uh, the Idra Zuta, the small assembly. It is the day that Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai, the hero of the Zohar, the great mystic that revealed that the the Bible isn't a book, but it's God and God revealing his secrets and that God needs our help. Um, The day he dies, right? The the day he dies, he has this beautiful teaching. um, and, And let's just have a quick look at the teaching and see what happens when he dies, right? So he opens saying, the dead do not praise Yah, nor all who go down into silence. But we will bless Yah, now and forever, hallelujah. The dead do not praise Yah, certainly so. Those who are called dead, for the blessed Holy One is called living, and he dwells among those called living, not with those called dead. It is different with those called living, for the blessed Holy One desires their glory. What we see here, to conclude, is that the working definition of Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai, the the deepest secret that he reveals on his deathbed is that if he's supposedly about to die, he says, guess what? I'm about to live because those that are with God are alive. And on the day of his, the day, you know, he he is gone, right? So we read here, and Rabbi Abba said, the the supernal holy lamb, Rabbi Shimon, had not finished saying life, right? The verse that we just read, he didn't finish saying life, before his words subsided. I was writing, intending to write more, yet I heard nothing. I did not raise my head for the light was too great. I could not look, just then I trembled. I heard a voice saying, length of days and years of life and peace will add to you. I heard another voice, life he asked of you, you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. All that day, fire did not cease from the house. No one reached him. No one could since light and fire surrounded him all day long. And after the fire disappeared, I saw the supernal lamp, holy of holies, had departed from the world and wrapped lying on his right, his face smiling. Now get this. After his bear emerged, it rose in the air, fire flaring before it. They, his students, heard a voice. Come and enter. Gather for the wedding celebration of Rabbi Shimon. He shall enter in peace. They shall rest upon their couches. The, 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 the day Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai is, you know, you know, basically the day he supposedly dies, is the day he lives is the day he teaches. That final teaching is the day that he gets married. And one is left asking, who does he marry? But that, that you know, we, we will leave for another time. Amazing. Um, so, Thank you very much. If there are any questions, I'm sorry I have yeah. to few more
0: minutes. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. So what we're going to do, Johnny, thank you. You you really gave us so much uh, great content here to think about here. Um, so uh, actually, uh, what I would love to do is there's three questions already posed in the chat. Normally, we would unmute folks, but we have enough to deal with there. I'll read them aloud. And then if you just want to kind of respond to what you want to respond to. First, Melanie writes, what does a deceased person goes into the light mean? that's melanie's question lauren asks regarding belief of souls recycling is it to do to shuva repentance until it re- reaches perfection is it is there a point in which it no longer becomes a gilgul uh, a reincarnation and then we have a question from john i believe that when one is born it is lights on and when one dies it is lights out There's no evidence whatsoever that there's life after death. The only resurrection of the dead are the memories of the deceased life by those who still live, whether their life was good life or an evil life. Comments. And lastly, from Alan, differences in newspaper obituaries, Jewish versus Christian. He went to be with the Lord, or she is now in the arms of Jesus, or he is now in heaven reunited with his wife and siblings, all based on pure blind faith, not in Jewish obituaries. Any explanation? Maybe none. So, OK, John, if you want to take our last five minutes and respond as you wish to some of these uh, interesting questions.
1: Definitely. Um, so uh, I'll start with uh, the question about uh, Tshuva and gilgul and recycling and how it works. The idea of of uh, reincarnation um, varies in Jewish texts. Um, if you take, for example, the Zohar, the Zoharic teaching of reincarnation is that it, it is very limiting, meaning there are only very few um, people that are reincarnated for specific transgressions, it is seen as a negative thing. As you mentioned, like the the assumption is you you reincarnate in order to uh, uh, fix something, and and that's it. But take say a mystic like Rabbi Yosef Ben Shalom ashkenazi or even Rabbi Isaac Luria the Ari. The assumption is that there are almost endless. It's this cosmic idea. It's not that 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 reincarnation isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's sort of, it's just simply the way God created the world and that everything transmigrates into everything, both, both uh, physical matter, which needs to be purified, as well as a spiritual matter. This is one of the biggest differences, if you like. One of the big differences between Zoharic Kabbalah and say Lurianic Kabbalah or, 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 Rabbi, or Ashkenazi is the emphasis on the anthropomorphic Godhead, and the idea of, of sort of mankind uh, uh, doing Tikkun as opposed to the need for everything in the cosmos—from you know inanimate objects to to, to rainforest to people—we're all part of this ecosystem that all need to be fixed. And there's life in everything. And then that view is that reincarnation is just a part of a part of life. It's not a negative thing. Um, in terms of the the the, um, uh, the comment about. Um, uh, that you know that the, the there is that there is lights on, lights off. Again, that's a view. What we did here was we brought, and interestingly, um, if we look at the Bible, the Bible's view on death um, is not as simple as what you said, right? Lights on, lights off. Like your working definition is much easier to to, to grasp because it's basically you know lights on, lights off. The Bible is complicated, um, but then with the Kabbalists, they really do take it to a different direction. And one of the big questions is trying to understand where these ideas come from. Uh, again, this isn't only Jews, right? It's 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 going back, as I mentioned. You know, whether it's Greeks, uh, whether it's um, indigenous Australians, and and their Torah Shabbal pair, They're sort of you know it it, it it goes on to different areas and peoples. Um, uh, questions from the expert from Exodus: Who puts Desecrates to death? Also, if someone is cut off from the Jewish people, can there be tshuva? Um, <clears throat> very interesting, fascinating question. So who puts the discredits to death um, is a very good question. I'm not sure. I could look it up and get back to you, like who that was. That's a fascinating question. Um, uh, in terms of if you're cut off, can you come back? Um, that also depends on who you ask. The assumption is, or like say Ashkenazi, it's never too late. Never too light. There's no There's no being cut off and that's it. It's sort of like you're cut off. And you're cut off for a while. Cut off doesn't mean forever. Um, there are some extreme views that say you're cut off, and then you know, I. But uh, but the, that's very very extreme. And usually these have things to do also with what are our beliefs in terms of um, what will the world to come look like in terms of uh, Jews and Gentiles and the whole world and the sort of you know universal project. Um, there was another question about going into light. Um, what does it mean when a person goes into light? So that's also very interesting. The, 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 the idea in general of light, which some say is a sort of um, a neo, neo-Platonic influence um, upon Jewish mysticism. And one could argue if it's perhaps the other way around. But be, because, again, you have the this very dominant idea of light and let there be light in the Bible and light is the source of, of life. Um, uh, it did at some point and Kabbalists do very heavily look at light and going into light in that direction. Um, it's, a, it's a massive topic, but it's, it really is a fascinating one. One more thing we have is, um, doesn't the, the doesn't the witnesses against the Secret of Shabbat have to be in the first, uh, tier of stone, stone is interesting. You know, well, that, that we don't have time for this, but it um, it brings to mind, if you saw, a uh, uh, Monty Python, there's a very fa- famous, uh, a skit where there's a guy, you know, not allowed to say Jehovah and he says Jehovah and the women sneak in there and they, they, they try and stone him. And anyway, um, uh, as I mentioned, feel free to email me if you have questions because it really, these short answers don't do justice. I mean it, feel free email and I'll be patient and, and you know, because it is cramming a lot into a short amount of time, um, but it really is just to sort of get our mind working and try and think of, of, uh, of you know, this, this, this huge topic. And I hope we've been able to do a little bit. I hope that we've, you know, enjoyed and learned something. Thank you very, very much. Excellent.
0: Thank you so much, Johnny. Always great to learn with you. Thank you all so much for joining us and for your amazing questions. Can't wait to see you again soon. And if you want to see us really soon, you can see us tomorrow with Rabbi Dr. Mark Gopin, who is going to talk about his new book, Compassionate Reasoning, where as a global peacemaker, And as the head of a peace building department at George Mason, he's going to talk about his new idea of cognition along with empathy and how that can enhance the work we're doing. Also my normal 40 debates class is tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock mountain. Have a great day. Thanks, Johnny. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Bait Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybatemidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybatemidrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.